dude i'm so sore from this weekend <laughs> oh dude she was beat up yesterday i was cracking up as victoria too yeah she's still sore i'm super sore i haven't worked out like i haven't been doing much back because that's one thing that on me has always been it responds really well to training and my back's always been super wide and so I since the rest of me is downsizing, I didn't want to just have a huge back and make it more difficult to buy suit tops and everything. Cause a lot of times too, like the suit top, if it's going to fit your back, then it's like too long on the arms or the delts yeah. are too tight. And so I've just been backing off of back. Then you guys crushed it. I'm so sore, man. Are you sore yeah, at man. all or probably not? Cause you, you work out pretty frequently still. No, I, that was a, I was pretty standard for me on my pull days. So, but yeah, I mean, that's just cause I still kind of have that one day a week that I throw in hard like that with my pull days, but it was good, man. I had a really good time with Caleb. It was uh, fun to just kind of get all together and train hard like that. And makes me miss just having a training partner too. I'm like, it's been years since I've consistently worked out with anyone at this point. Yeah, same. I think I would definitely work out a lot more if I had a training partner. Oh, yeah. you know, like I have Victoria, but a lot of times we don't want to do the same thing. She wants to yeah. do much more like loop focus training for her legs. I want to do more like quad and hamstring and, yeah. and then she doesn't really like to train chest and I want to do some of that. So at this point, I literally have two lifting days a week, one upper, one lower, and then the rest is just like body weight stuff throughout the day. Okay. Well, when you get here, there we go. Be easy right. enough. I know. I feel like I could get pretty jacked again. You could, dude. Oh, and that <laughs> shit. I was thinking when I was even telling Abby, I'm like, man, they thought that pull day was hard. I'm like, if Adam like saw my leg days and stuff, like it would like probably change the game for him for a bit. Your legs would probably get huge again and stuff. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't done like a, a crazy leg day in a while. I do sometimes, but leg days will really fuck me up for a long time. So I try oh, to avoid just it. mentally for the next couple of days, dude. I mean, that's the thing I have to be careful of. I'm like, if I have anything important the next day, like I feel like it almost puts me in a fog sometimes. Yeah, me too. For sure. I just, I put my leg day at the end of my workouts usually. So I have a mm -hmm. gap after, because if my legs are sore, I feel like I'm dragging on energy levels for a few days yep. too. Like, it might be bro science, but I just feel like there's a higher caloric demand and I'm just worn down. Like if I do, cause my workout days are usually Saturday, Sunday right now, my lifting. So if mm -hmm. I put leg day on Saturday, then when Sunday comes that my upper body day is shit. Yeah. Uh, and then I always have that difficulty with abs too. Like I never train abs because I'm always like, uh, tomorrow's leg day and I'm going to need my core for that. But then yeah. I need it for everything, you know, like I, I don't want my abs sore during the pull day. I don't want my abs sore during a push day. Like, so abs are a hard thing for me to, to fit in because I train them so infrequently that they still get sore. Yeah. Well, and it's hard to doing it when it's just a Saturday. So anything that you want to do on a Saturday, Sunday, because it's like five days off just to relax and then <laughs> hard for two days. I feel like you're always going to be or have the chance to be more sore when it's like oh, that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a thing when it comes to recovery. Like a lot of people will ask me or say, my recovery is crap. I'm like, how frequently you're training? Because if I don't want sore legs anymore, the quickest way to not have sore legs is do legs like three times a week, because yeah. then it's going to be so hard to ever get me sore because they yeah. just have built up such a capacity for volume. Um, yeah. So I, I would say if people are having difficulty with recovery, just train more as counterintuitive as that sounds, the least frequent you train, the more sore you get. Um, and sore is not an indicator of a good workout either. Absolutely. Just, uh, yeah, that's something that is often perpetuated. Yeah. Yeah. And well, we talked about that in the last episode too, even just with the like workout or the last clip about a workout recommendations. I, so I always tell everybody full body is normally pretty great for the average person because they don't have the chance just to like beat down a muscle group, wait an entire week to do it again keeps them from getting as sore as frequently and, you know, kind of allows them to up their training volume over the course of the week without having to do it all in one day. Yeah. Do you do, uh, do you do a full body at all? Or do you do like push pull legs? Kind of in the sense that I've got a lot of dynamic movements, even on, to answer it, it's a push pull or I'm sorry, push on Monday, uh, legs on Wednesday and then pull normally on Friday or Saturday. Uh, but each day has like a little bit of dynamic movements in there, uh, whether that's like explosive stuff on the ski erg or the rower or box jumps to kind of like always keep my legs turning over. And that actually keeps them from getting sore, especially with the running demand. Yeah. So you ran this morning. When will you do your push? Uh, so my push will be later this afternoon. 
like afternoon like what time like 4 35 o'clock normally okay yeah. and you yeah. don't eat after you're running normally so like just for today since we ate a lot this weekend i was like yeah. Yeah, i'm pretty loaded up i'll like run this morning and then give myself some time to digest and do all that so and when we're done i'm actually gonna go to the store after this get groceries and all that so all right and then you'll eat uh, like a pre-workout meal or will you not eat until after you train no so i'll eat uh throughout the course of the day so i'll have gotcha. like breakfast probably what around 10 o'clock this morning which will be Four whole eggs, a couple pieces of turkey bacon, bacon, two pieces of toast with some avocado. That's nice. it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah, then I before don't... workout, it's normally like a banana and some type of bar or something big or some proats and a banana, something pretty simple. Awesome. And then a, a normal meal. Yeah. Do you eat another meal after dinner or is dinner last meal? Dinner is normally the last big meal. I might have something before bed that's a little more like snackish, but protein focused. Um, if I feel like I like really trained hard that day and need some more carbs, like I've got a big run the next morning, I'll do like some of those protein waffles from Kodiak or something before bed. So or close closer to bed. Yeah. How, how many hours do you guys do? Like on Friday when you guys got to Austin, I know you didn't get to eat till like eight. And I was thinking, damn, it's going to fuck up his sleep probably. It it did actually, and that's why I was like last night we immediately got home and I was like I need food now so I digest. Uh, so I normally like to cut it off at least, you know, I say an hour and a half is probably the like closest I'll do, but normally two hours is what I try and do. I've been trying to do that too. I've always I used to feel like eating before sleeping helped me. I don't know mm -hmm. if it was like psychologically I got influenced by the research that shows that eating closer to bed negatively impacts it i also think that when i was on a lot more drugs like trend and stuff that the like eating a lot of carbohydrates did kind of knock me out and help me um i used to wake up in the middle of the night just starving and then i would go eat a ton of cereal and crash like i did that every single night yeah i didn't even monitor my a1c back then i wonder what it was because i would just eat a shit ton of like sugary cereal and that yeah. would help to put me right to sleep uh, and then I'd be sweating all night from the trend. Uh, yeah. But that was that was something I would do for a long time. I don't do that anymore at all, which is nice. Um, took me a long time to break that rhythm too. Because my dog at the time even like got on my cycle. And so it would be waking up at like two or three in the morning every night. And if I didn't, she would wake me up. And then we would go eat cereal together and, then, <laughs> and go back to sleep. I'm sure. Um, Did your dog get a couple of treats along the or something? Oh yeah, she always too. wanted to. Yeah. She would eat too. What, I would just yeah. feed her, and then we'd go to sleep again. But yeah, yeah that. That's but now, like last week, there was a a night when I worked a little later than normal, and I think I didn't get to eat till like seven thirty, and we were usually mm -hmm. trying to sleep by eight thirty, and I couldn't sleep at all. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, I know like a lot of the research shows that you definitely don't want to super close to bed, but I also, if there are nights that I do, like I sleep fine sometimes. I think it's all like the meal specifically too. Um, if I eat something that's like super heavy fat before bed, I always feel like I, I know they say carbs, but I've always felt like something that's super high fat uh, makes it harder for me to sleep before bed. So maybe just because it's harder to digest or takes a longer time. Yeah. Another thing with me too, is I eat like pretty salty. I think I talked about it before. And then I will wake up in the middle of the night, really thirsty too, mm -hmm. or I'll have to drink water before going to bed. Yep. And so then I'll wake up peeing or I'll wake up really thirsty and drink water. And then that water that I drink in the middle of the night translates to peeing a few hours later. So it keeps me up all night. Um, Thursday nights, we always go pick up Benji from daycare and near his mm -hmm. daycare is a really it's a little cafe that has like my favorite wrap in the world. It's like this Parmesan crusted Caesar wrap. It's so freaking good. We eat it once a week, um, but it has so much sodium. Cause I, I know inevitably, you know, we go to bed at like eight, eight 30. I'm waking up by like 11, just dying of thirst. And I have to pound like three glasses of water. And then two or three hours later, I wake up from that. So Thursday nights are usually, if you look at my aura ring, I take a bit of a hit on sleep. Yeah. And waters definitely, or any fluids are the thing that I've really had to like cut off even more so than food. Cause I, for some reason, I'm like one of those people that just wakes up very frequently to pee if I have anything close to bed. And I feel like that's what messes up my sleep more than anything. If I can make it through the night, like last night was good. I didn't wake up. We went to bed at like, gosh, a little before nine. And I don't think I woke up until like 4 p 4 a.m. to have to use the bathroom. So for me, I'm like, that's a win. Yeah, I think I did the same. 
I slept pretty good. We were beat after this weekend. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. In a good way. Yeah. I've been, yeah, I've been sleeping pretty well. I always will wake up though. I can't, I haven't made it through a night without peeing in years, probably just getting old and prostate and getting larger. Um, I mean, my PSA is fine, but I haven't checked my actual size. Uh, but I will definitely wake up. I I can't make it through a night without peeing. It just hasn't happened forever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember the last time it happened. Yeah. I don't know most guys that do actually. Uh, Abby will definitely make it through the night sometimes. So I don't know if it's a guy-girl dynamic there. But I feel like most men wake up for the at least once to go. Yeah, I think it's directly related to that prostate. Yeah. And yeah. You know, the, the pressing on the bladder making us feel like we have to mm-hmm. urinate. Urine urgency. Yeah, absolutely. I also tried uh, propanolol the other night for sleep and I did not have a good time, which is that's right. You said that yesterday. Yeah. You didn't get into it though. You felt like it affected it negatively. Yeah. Anecdotally, there's been a lot of people who like to take propanolol to like kind of relax for anxiety and get to sleep. And I don't know why I thought I would try it because I don't ever feel anxious. Um, So I, I don't know. I just tried because one thing on my aura ring is my heart rate variability has been very low. Uh, low heart rate variability is associated with high autonomic nervous system, uh, that sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight. And then the, uh, like the higher your HRV, supposedly the more relaxed, more parasympathetic, you know, rest, digest. And so I can never really budge my HRV. It's always super low. I don't know why I don't feel like I'm overly stressed. I think it, it may be due to my schedule that I'm always just go, 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 but I feel, I feel happy and fine with it. So I don't know if my subjective versus my objective, like, you know, if there's a clash there, either way, I tried to plan a lot, but it messed me up. I definitely feel like it gave me palpitations, which freaked me out because it woke me up a few times as I was trying to fall asleep. Um, felt my, my heart rate get all off, which is normal because I have a pretty low, like resting heart rate. I have low blood pressure already. So it kind of messed that up. And then um, looking into it more, it looks like propranolol will negatively impact melatonin production, mm-hmm. um, which, so it's pretty well documented that beta blockers will actually impair sleep. So I'd say it's probably best for those who have anxiety and racing thoughts and things that can't get to sleep because of that. But if you're somebody like myself, who doesn't have any issue falling to sleep, probably not the best. I don't know. Isn't there, I know some, I've seen this stuff where people use it before bed. Isn't there some people that like to use it like post-training too, or is that an all that I'm thinking of like to immediately relax afterwards or like bring uh, just kind of your system down? Yeah, I think both would do. Um, the nabivol, a lot of guys will use as blood pressure medication. And that's one because it, it does allow your heart rate to still go up, um, but it can modulate blood pressure where other beta blockers will kind of just crush your whole athletic output. You can't even get the heart rate to get up to the demand that you have. So nabivalol is one that is great for people like bodybuilders who are trying to reduce blood pressure. I still prefer like an ACE inhibitor angiotensin two receptor blocker, because I think it works on the actual cascade impacted by the hormones. But Mm -hmm. uh, if you are somebody who likes beta blockers and bevelol is usually the go-to for the athletic person. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that's, is it normally with patients? Is that kind of like step two, if a telomasartan doesn't work, do you normally then kind of move on to something like that or throw them in, in conjunction together? Yeah. Sometimes together, uh, people like that. I've tried that too. It's got my blood pressure pretty low before. Just, um, I don't really have high blood pressure anyways, but I'll take like a, I'll take a telomasartan just like a 20 milligram to keep it in a good range but also for all the other health benefits we've discussed previously but sometimes i'll just like i'll see a bit of wall and be like why not let's see like what it will do to me you know <laughs> yeah. i kind of experiment that way and we'll check my blood pressure but yeah so for those who are are battling where they're at the upper end of like one and then maybe they need to add another one that could be a, a good combo but i want to do that without you know running it by your doctor and potentially even a cardiologist if you're having like you're at the top line of telmosartan and you're still not being able to reduce your blood pressure you should probably get you know a specialist to look into that yeah absolutely so I want to talk about something that Abby told me about with your, <laughs> I with was your waiting for the shoe to drop. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot until just now, but Let's we, uh, I heard from Josh's wife that Josh has an addiction that we need to have an intervention on <laughs> or maybe A previous addiction, but All yes, right. yes. Yeah. So tell us about it. 
Yeah. So uh, it was actually so um, my wife and Adam and his wife all met down in Austin this weekend, which was great. So we're hoping to get them down to Texas pretty soon. Um, but yeah, my uh, wife decided at the end of the trip to, I don't even know, I think you and I started talking about, it was probably my fault. Cause I asked you like what your thoughts are with cannabis and things like that. And I had planned to tell you about this, but she was like, no, I'm going to go for it. Um, so basically, you know, the, over a couple of years ago, I had a, I wouldn't say a strong, strong addiction, but definitely an issue with, uh, overusing cannabis, um, and so we kind of got into the topic conversation and thought it would be good to dive into today um, and just how with my own personal misuse of it, I think that it's definitely way more addictive than people would like to admit um, and certainly can make you a different person like all around when you're chronically abusing it. Yeah. So when did you first start using and then and why? And, and yeah, just tell me about it a little bit. Yeah, so I did not start using it until probably college. I never tried it until I, yeah, I think like 19 years old. Um, when I was in high school, I was like competing at that point. So drugs, alcohol, I kind of like shied away from as much as possible um, and tried it in the beginning of college, um, maybe a few times, nothing like crazy though. And then it, it really throughout college, like sporadically here and there, was I don't have a crazy addictive personality uh, for most things. So kind of could have it, leave it or take it type of thing. Um, and then it was when I graduated school, I actually moved to Houston for my first job. Uh, I would say that's for some reason when I like picked it back up again. And I don't know if it was just living by myself in a new city or something like that. Um, but yeah, started like kind of going to where it was almost an everyday thing at that point. And uh, before I knew it, it was that way for a couple of years, actually, to where it was, you know, doing it a few times a day. And I think with weed, people can like justify thinking that, oh, you know, it's not like alcohol and, you know, the sense that maybe it's not so bad for my health long term or it's not making me drunk. But it certainly is putting you in an impaired state. And, you know, regardless if you're doing that before any activity or whatever it is, like you're not fully yourself. So, yeah. Yeah. And so how did you like wake and bake, like get up and start getting high or would you wait until the end of the day or midday? Yeah, no, definitely would never do it in the morning. Cause I, I at least like to say that I had like morals about it. I couldn't feel good about myself doing it like that. Um, but it was normally an end of the day thing. Um, you know, end of the day before I went and did a lift sometimes or after I got home from a lift, um, really the worst times though would be like on the weekends where, you know, I'm not working. I don't have a schedule. Um, and so then it would kind of like creep up to earlier in the day, you know, before we went and got brunch or something like that, just times where it wasn't necessary. And I even told Adam last night, like I get embarrassed talking about it now because it makes me feel like a bum kind of, but there's a lot of people that use it that way. And it's so easy nowadays with like the pins and things like that, just to do it. And kind of, it's, I feel like not the same as like physically opening up a beer and drinking that it's much easier to like, oh, this is fine. It's just a little pin, you know? True. So yeah, how it came about was we saw a like a weed dispenser on the side of the street, which we were all baffled by because it shouldn't be legal in Texas. So we we're just trying to figure that out. And then that kind of spiraled down into you asking me what I thought. And Victoria said he hates it kind of like condescendingly. And that's because um, sounds like you and Abby had a similar situation in reverse roles to Victoria and I when we first met. So I hope she doesn't mind me saying this. And if she does, I'll edit it out. But um, when her and I first met, she was just in a weird spot in her life, was under a lot of stress, was pretty depressed. And she was relying heavily on, on marijuana use to get her through that. And when her and I got together, I was cool with that, whatever. But then I felt like her life was getting better, hopefully because of me. And she was, you know, feeling a lot better. So I thought. And so it would kind of get annoying to me that every activity that we would do together, she would have to get high first. And it was almost like, I felt like, am I not good enough to take the place of that anymore? Like I should be the one that's relieving you of your stress and stuff. And I would, I understand doing it here and there just to calm down, like having a glass of wine at the end of the day or with friends or in a social setting, I can see marijuana being used in the same way, but I didn't like her using it as a means to just exist, you know, like everything that she did, she would have to use it first. To me, that made me feel like I wasn't adequate enough. Like, am I 
am I not good enough for you that you have to get high just to see me? Is there something wrong with me? You know? And so that was where my issue came with it with her. So it wasn't that I hate marijuana by any means. I've probably smoked more weed than, than most people in my life. I started very early, which we can get to later, but um, you know, I have a real issue with it. But where I'm going with that is that you said that when you met Abby, that you were in a weird part in your life too. And yeah. we previously deep dived into my life and my stuff, and I couldn't get anything out of you then. So now hopefully <laughs> maybe we can hear about what you were going through and how it was helping you and then why you continued to use it when you were with Abby and then what kind of got you out of that. Yeah, no. And it, I actually, when we left, I was telling Abby, it was like really cathartic to hear uh, Victoria kind of say the same thing, or you guys, you know, tell the opposite role, because I would never expect that from her. Um, and so it kind of was like, because again, I've always been a little embarrassed about it, because I feel like, you know, I've always preached health and wellness and like kind of hold myself to this high standard. And I always felt like people would think it was like very bummy of me. Um, <laughs> but it was good to hear that somebody else has gone through the same thing like that. So, um, yeah, when at that point in my life, again, it was, I think, just more of a transitional time for me. Um, I was graduating school, uh, moving to a new city. I didn't really know anyone there and just kind of trying to figure out what life's going to be like post-college. What am I going to do with my life? You know, all those things that I'm sure many people struggle with afterwards of now I got to go and make a lot of money, meet, you know, a partner, all those things. So for me, it was kind of just like trying to alleviate some of that anxiety um, and it was really easy instead of maybe taking some of that head on or or just realizing like, hey, this is just part of life that most people go through. You'll be fine. Um, and it be definitely became a coping mechanism in um, that aspect. And I even had a few friends that lived in Houston and I was kind of a hermit from them and would use it to kind of crawl away on the weekends. And it definitely made me a little antisocial. And uh, like Victoria and I were talking about yesterday, it actually exacerbates a lot of those anxiety tendencies or depression that you may be dealing with if you're chronically using it because it just almost allows you to like creep into your own thoughts even more mm -hmm. um, and then you're beating yourself up for it because you're like man I'm just sitting here getting high like what am I doing with myself I should be out with friends or not doing this you know people would judge me so much if they saw this so I think that's really what stemmed um, the chronic use of it and then it kind of just became habitual and I would justify that uh, you know it's not that big a deal it's just pot and I should say that I just like you I feel like there's not necessarily anything wrong with it if it if someone told me hey every now and then I want to either drink or I want to either smoke I'd probably say oh it's health or you know healthy wise or how healthy it is for you I would say marijuana is still probably the healthier of the two uh, but like anything chronic use of it or having to rely on a substance to do normal activities I think that's when it starts getting pretty hairy yeah yeah I would agree that's that was my issue too was like I felt like she did have some shit she needed to work through and then the weed just kind of made her numb to it or was able mm -hmm. to deal with it at that time. But then it, you're right. It does exacerbate it. And the data show pretty clearly that it kind of has a weird paradoxical effect. Like most drugs do where in the beginning you can use it to alleviate anxiety, but with chronic use, we actually see an increase in anxiety. Um, and then with younger individuals using it, uh, give the data show pretty clearly that the more younger individuals utilize it from epidemiologic studies, we see that they have more incidence of depression. So it seems to impact both like increased anxiety and depression, which again is paradoxical because most people use it as a coping mechanism for depression or for anxiety. So what in the beginning kind of helps with that actually makes it worse long-term. Um, but yeah, I, I think the crutch of anything, uh, like these days, I really like the use of something like modafinil, but I try really hard to not use it maybe more than once a week at most. And a lot of times I go weeks without using it because I know that it's a crutch. I tell myself if I'm not able to get through my day's work without a substance, then I shouldn't be doing that, you know? Um, so it can, we have tools that can be useful. Like you know, marijuana can be useful as a tool to relax at the end of the day with friends, but when it becomes a crutch is when I think that there's probably an issue there. That's when like, I think that's in, is when there's like addiction, you know, when something that you need it to get through normal activities of daily living, I would say that would classify as an addiction in my opinion. 
absolutely. And I mean, and like you and Victoria were talking about, it put a strain on y'all's relationship and it certainly did for Abby and I. And like you were saying in the beginning, you were okay with it, but then it kind of got to that point where it was like, hey, like, I expect you to kind of be a big boy here. You're a grown man now, like, you know, kind of act like one. And for some reason for a long time, and I'm sure it's because you're kind of in that fog of chronically using it, that your brain's not really, you know, at full capacity or really seeing it from their perspective. Um, I definitely felt like I was not my true self. There was a lot of things that I was slacking on that at the time I didn't realize that I was, and I don't know, just not, especially for her and our relationship, like living up to maybe like being the man that I could be. And I think in kind of a way, it almost like made her view me like as a little boy in that aspect um that like hey like you should be above this or not be above using it but be in control of anything that you're going to do in your life and it was certainly something that had a hold on me um so long story short uh we worked through that it was you know something that was pretty tough for us um but then you know finally i one day was like all right i just can't do this anymore it's not me i don't want to be reliant on anything um, and since then, I mean, it's been pretty crazy for me to look back in retrospect and just see things from both angles now and realize how different I was and how much more clearly I think now about things, how much less anxious I am all the time now. And yeah, I, and I'm sure there's many people that might feel the same way or going through it currently. And all I would say is, you know, don't beat yourself up about it, one, because it's kind of easy to do. And there's certainly more of a stigma still when it comes to cannabis use. Um, there's, but there's a lot of other people that are struggling with it too. And nowadays with just how, you know, easier the access to it is so much easier. Um, and I'm sure the cannabis industry has kind of sold it as it is very benign and there's no issues whatsoever. And I don't really think we know that. And I think it's probably much more addicting than they would like to lead on. Yeah. I think anything can be addicting. That was always historically my issue. Like another question that came up is because I had said, to like Victoria, like when we were all talking, like I didn't care that Josh had a drink last night. We were just drinking and we, you know, had a drink and it was normal. And then you go on about life and that's fine use, you know, that's use mm -hmm. that's responsible. Josh had one drink, probably won't have another for another month or so until he goes out with another group of people. Like if it was he had a joint that night or, you know, took a few um, gummies or something that would be responsible use. Then he doesn't use it again. And then she asked, like, well, when would that, you know, happen when it comes to weed? And I said, well, my problem with both her and I is that we both have addictive personalities already. And what I used to find myself doing when I would, um, you know, smoke a lot of weed when I was younger, especially times and when I would get the most into like smoking weed, I would usually have just gone through a breakup or something. And mm -hmm. you're in that part where you used to spend all your time with a girl and then, you know, all your friends were gone because you never longer hung out with them. And then you're all alone. Your life was that girl. And then you're super yep. depressed at that time is when I would find like one good smoking buddy. And then we would just like get high and sit around and do nothing. And it would become comforting to me because I would almost get numb to that feeling. I'd be really bummed and depressed and kind of anxious because I just broke up with a girl, get really high with him or her, whoever it was, and almost just like pass out eating, you know, and it was my, my way to escape that. But I would continue to look for that every single day. But then I would always get to a point where I didn't get that high anymore and it wasn't really dealing with the pain. And I would mm -hmm. get kind of afraid because I would be like, what can I add to this to make the high better? Like, would I at first maybe add some alcohol in with it? And then, you know, I'm crossfaded with both. But then I would, I, I was luckily, I don't know how I was always like inherently intelligent, even as a young kid, like quit fucking around with drugs because it's going to spiral out of control. Yeah. I, I had a lot of my friends, which I've talked about in a previous episode all my childhood friends got really heavy into drugs. And that's when I quit that like skateboarding scene. Um, I would see myself getting there quick with like weed. It would take like two weeks of, of everyday use before I wanted something more. Um, but I feel like if Victoria and I were to introduce that into our house now, we're like, Oh, it's Friday night. We can have a gummy or something. I feel like we would probably enjoy it a lot. You know, we'd laugh, we'd enjoy TV. We'd probably eat good food and we'd fall asleep. We wouldn't sleep as well because the data definitely show that you don't sleep as well using marijuana, but we would think that we would, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we would want to do it Saturday night and then Sunday night that we'd probably justify, well, it was a tough day on Monday and, and it would just yeah. become, you know, routine yeah. use. So that's why I'm like a little afraid to even reintroduce that into our lives because we've got a good protocol right now and we're, you know, able to not need it. 
Um, so it's hard for some people, if you're like me and you have that addictive personality, you may want to just stay away from it and, you know, don't, don't invite it into your life. That being said, I do really think it can be used responsibly. I think it's a million times better than alcohol. Um, and I know you said there's like a stigma. I actually think it's like the opposite. Now I think there's almost no stigma around marijuana, like even in pop culture, you know, yeah. You see, yeah, everybody's like, they talk about getting high, like in movies, like it's nothing, you know, it, it was crazy, like 90s, early 2000s, it was like, you know, you made movies about stoners, but now just like you make a movie about an affluent doctor, and they're coming home and smoking a joint on the porch at night, you know, That's it's true. not uncommon. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I know very highly successful people that yeah, I mean, use it, I, I, I should say that stigma probably comes from where I grew up in the Bible Belt of the South. Um, whereas you growing up in California, you probably always had a little bit different of a perspective. You guys are a little more progressive on that than we were down here earlier on. Yeah, we were in the, you're in the Bible Belt, we're in like in the Green Belt, like in yeah. Mendocino, Lake County, that's where all of it's grown. So I grew up with, you know, like I had friends who's had famous like growing growers as parents who have strains that you've probably smoked and I won't say their names, but it's just like, you know, they were... <laughs> They were very big. So it's, uh, it's crazy. And I grew up with a lot of marijuana in my own household. And that was another thing that I didn't like because looking back as a child, there was a lot of times that marijuana, I don't know, kind of fucked with things with me. Like, so one thing I would notice with like Victoria's, you know, when, if we're together and she's high, sometimes she'll like forget about things that we did, you know, or she forgot about something I said, or like, you know, we had a heart to heart and she forgets about it because she was high. And I used to experience that as a kid and it used to hurt me a lot. You know, I would tell a loved one something and then they would completely forget or they would repeat it the next day. And I'm like, don't you remember? We just talked about that yesterday. And it gets so old to be told the same thing over and over. And I'm like, fuck, is it so like, is our meeting, what we've done, is it so meaningless to you? You can't even remember it, you know? And that's how it would feel with Victoria is like, Jesus Christ, you don't even remember that awesome night we had and we kind of opened up about xyz you don't even remember me telling you that and she's like Ugh, you know so that was kind of like hurtful um so it can hurt those around you too for sure even though you feel like it's not i mean even though i say it's better than getting drunk like imagine being drunk and like raising kids and everything we know that's not ideal and yeah. you know I know a lot of people think that they're fine and functioning when you're high, but you're really not, you know, after a while you do get to that point where you convince yourself that you can function that way, but it's not ideal. You're still very forgetful. You know, your reaction time is still super delayed. There's a lot of issues there. Well, and that's why I think it was so great to hear your and hearing your perspective yesterday and right now, because so many of the things that you're saying are things that I would hear from Abby. And I'm sure Victoria probably like me sometimes is like, oh, you know, you're just being overdramatic. Of course, I remember this, that and the other, not realizing like, hey, but this is actually how it's making me feel in the situation. And knowing that, you know, if we have a deep discussion like that, if you're just kind of foggy and talking to me in that fog-like state, do you really mean what you're saying? Like so many of those things that probably creep into the other person's mind um, that, you know, obviously a negative negatively affect the relationship. So. Yeah. And a few other things from like health standpoint that at least anecdotally I noticed using uh, was way less drive. And I'm somebody Absolutely. who really likes to be, um, you know, I think like Huberman says, like forward center of mass. I definitely like to always be progressing. When I'm using marijuana habitually, I definitely feel like I'm way back. You know, I don't mm -hmm. care about moving forward whatsoever. Um, I think I just hypothesize, hypothesize that it has to do with the impact it has on dopamine. Since we know that dopamine really drives motivation and we know that marijuana increases prolactin and kind of suppresses dopamine, I certainly felt that with myself. And that would be another reason why when I when I was starting to progress in my life, I cut marijuana out because I felt like if I would get high the next day, I wouldn't even care about going to the gym, which yep. was very important to me at that time. I wouldn't care about studying, which was very important to me at that time. So like when I got into my training and my college years, I just cut it out completely, got high one time in all of my undergrad. And then I got high one time right before starting my graduate school with Victoria, just one time, fucked me up completely. But <laughs> I it's usually for like three days after I kind of feel a weird, like fog over me where I feel mm. a little bit drained. I feel just unmotivated to do things. And people would probably say that sounds dramatic, but it's you know been my experience. And I think that I see that in a lot of other individuals too. And like you said, highly successful people do 
get high very often, but there's a lot of us who I think that it does play on that dopaminergic pathway. And that suppressive effect kind of reduces your drive to want to do more and and excel in life. Which is why I think it just comes back to choosing to be an adult about things and knowing, Hey, what negatively affects me or what am I predisposition to maybe forming an addiction with? Like you have to learn that about yourself just because for 95% of people, a substance is pretty benign. You sadly may be that 5% that it affects in a very negative light. And that's totally fine. You know, you just have to kind of learn that and realize that, all right, that may not be for me. So, yeah. And um, Um, I I liked, you know, what you were saying earlier about how, like with you, it would be, you know, using it and you felt like it kind of made you more lazy. Um, I kind of felt like on my spectrum, like I always was very high functioning with it. Um, I always used it before, like going for a long run or exercising or out hiking. Um, So for me, it was never like something so I could just sit there and veg. It was just I think I tricked myself into saying that it adds more to this experience or like I can get more into a zone with my training or whatever I'm doing at the moment um, and not realizing like how silly that is of, of like, hey, just be in the moment here now. Like there's nothing that's going to make you more in the zone than not using a stuff substance to try and tap into that. And I'm, I'm sure there's true. other people that have you know tried to use it maybe for that reason as well. Yeah, for sure. I do think it it can enhance creativity and getting in the zone. And especially these days, like there's such a science about it that wasn't Mm -hmm. there when I was a kid. Um, When I was using it more frequently, we didn't talk about strains and percentage of THC, you know, it wasn't anything like that. Like, yeah, I mean, the first time I got high was in fifth grade. And then I continued that use on until like college, not every day by any means. I was never that person. Like I said, I would usually go through like, maybe a month at most stent of using it every single day. And then I would get to that point where I felt like I needed more because after, Mm -hmm. you know, a few weeks of using it, you need a few more hits to get as high, or then you don't get as high regardless. And just becomes like, just like caffeine, you know, and I felt like it wasn't as benign as caffeine. And I needed to pull back because at that point I was thinking, what can I crush into this and smoke along with it, you know, to make my high a little bit better. And that scared me because I have that personality. Um, but I was never, you know, I could never be like, Oh, I want a, a creative strain that is going to have like, you know, X amount of THC and this much CBD and that will dial me in. And nowadays you can. So maybe nowadays yeah. it is a little bit easier to utilize it for various functions. And my, the way that I think about it is kind of historic and outdated where I used to think about like, you just bought an eighth off whatever dude. And they didn't tell you what the hell it was. They would just say, this is some good shit, bro. And then it would knock you on your ass, you know? And and, like, I would just base my, like, base it off of how much do I smoke? Like if I were going to go snowboarding or skateboarding, it would be like, maybe I'll just take like half a hit of this one. And then that will kind of help me get in the focus. Or if I was going to like zonk out, you know, I'd, we'd take a few hits and pass it around until I was coughing my ass off. And then, you know, the rest of the night's kind of a blur. So it's a little bit different now, definitely, obviously, you know, you can get really low doses, you can get different strains of different deltas and things, which I don't even fully comprehend, but they all have different effects. So I think my belief on it is probably outdated and not as, uh, you know, not as up to times. Yeah. But I, I still think the overall theme that we're trying to relay here is just that, hey, you know, even if it's the lower strain that works well for you, helps you get in a creative space, there's a time and a place for it, right? Um, and having to use it for every activity is you're probably going to end up, you know, going along that bell curve where you finally hit the point of diminishing returns where it builds up in your system so chronically that you continuing to use more and more. And you're not even necessarily getting high at that point. That's at least what I experience. It's not like that euphoria uh, when you're chronically using it, you're getting high, but it's almost just like the fog that oversets you. And I think that's like really when the anxiety starts to set in for a lot of people is that's the probably biggest effect that you're noticing, not so much just like the euphoria, clear thinking. So yeah, Yeah. I've always been curious if that's just like a buildup in the system that causes that. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And I feel like anything that you need in order to exist is kind of detrimental in a way. And that's why I, 
I don't like the fact that like you and I are both on TRT and we have to be in a yeah. way I'm kind of bummed about that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, damn, I'm not really good enough to just yeah. produce my own. I depended on this now. And it's to a lesser extent, you know, we're replacing a hormone that our body should make. It's not, I mean, technically we do have cannabinoids. We have cannabinoid receptors. So maybe you could argue that too. Um, but I feel like it's a little bit different, but when it comes like caffeine, you know, I definitely try to do workouts when I do them without the use of caffeine, without mm -hmm. pre-workout. If you feel like you can't do a workout without pre-workout and blurring music, you should probably reevaluate that and try to do some. I used to try to do CrossFit with no music and no caffeine so that, you know, if I could get into that zone and, and embrace that suck with no music or anything to hype me up, I knew that, you know, I was in control of the workout and not the other way around, um, where I feel like when you can't get through going to work without getting high, or you can't be with your partner without being high, there's an issue there. That was my issue with Victoria. I'm like, you can't see me without being high is, is there, does that mean that we're not compatible? Because if I, if you require like weed in order to hang out with me, there's something wrong there. You know, um, if you use it to enhance that, that's fine. But I would, I think you need to learn how to be with that person or how to go through your normal activities without the use of any stimulants or things first. And that's why we preach with hormone optimization, like enhance and optimize your life first before any other supplements. And then like learn how to train, learn how to eat, learn how to sleep and recover and learn all of that. And after you've mastered that, then you can use those tools to enhance that, but don't, don't rely on the tools to get you through that stuff because it's skewed. You know, you're doing things backwards. Absolutely. No. And I mean, I, that's a great point, even as a, you know, to use the uh, analogy of then towards optimization and working out. And I think for a lot of people, right? Like it's, Hey, I want to take everything I can before to facilitate this lift and just make it as badass as possible. Not realizing like, Hey, maybe you don't need anything. And you'd go in there and get just as good as a workout because you're not overstimulated. You're a little more focused, your heart rate's under control. Um, I think nowadays it's very easy for us to think that we need a plethora of supplements or whatever it may be as a catalyst for X activity. Um, whereas if you just went into it without anything, you might actually get a lot more from it. Um, as an anecdote for that, I know running for me was uh, something that for a long time I used music with and always had caffeine before. In the last couple of years, I've cut both of those out. Um, and it's kind of allowed it to be much more cathartic for me in the sense that it's just, you know, there's no distractions going on. It's kind of you just in the moment, um, enjoying the physical activity and actually has been an area where I do a lot of my deep thinking now and more of a form of meditation. And probably when you mix in the other things, not saying there's not a time and a place where you don't want to get caffeinated and lift heavy, um, but it might kind of take away from the moment uh, if you overuse those things. Sure. And I guess to close, maybe we'll talk about the hormonal effects since most of our followers are interested in hormone optimization through our work at Merrick Health and everything and previous podcasts talking about that. So um, we talked about previously on the, or actually, I don't think we've released it yet, but we will be releasing a podcast on prolactin. And I would mm -hmm. say the effects of THC and cannabis on prolactin are probably the biggest and most pronounced. Um, when, when that podcast comes out, I don't know if it'll be before or after this, definitely check that out. We do a little bit deeper dive into prolactin, but essentially it's well-known THC will increase levels of prolactin. Like I talked about previously, prolactin kind of has that inhibitory effect on dopamine. When one of the most notable times that this occurs is right after like a male has an orgasm, we have that, that dopamine that has given us that drive to want to reproduce, to mate, to, you know, to have the sex. And it's at an all time high during the orgasm. And then prolactin is immediately released and knocks down that, uh, that dopamine. And so that's that feeling of I'm uninterested in sex. I want to roll over, go to sleep. You know, you, you just feel completely not into that whole activity whatsoever anymore. And it even makes it so that you can't go again. You know, we talked about the refractory period, the time between orgasms, um, that prolactin increases the, the refractory time. So when you're smoking marijuana habitually, your prolactin levels are increased and then your dopamine is suppressed. So that motivating effect of dopamine is suppressed. 
uh, but also sometimes libido. So there's definitely research showing that they can suppress libido. That one's another one that's kind of paradoxical. Sometimes it increases libido and sexual desire, and then other times it drives it down. I think maybe acutely it can help with the the sexual side of things Mm -hmm. because maybe people can let go of some of their, you know, they can be kind of inhibited or uninhibited rather. Um, and then can do that. Exactly. Yeah. And then they can maybe focus on some of the sensations a little bit more since we do Mm -hmm. know what makes you focus in. But I think with chronic use is when prolactin levels can be higher and you can have that impact. Um, another area, as far as we've kind of heard in the past that it can increase estrogen or reduce testosterone. I think that data is a little bit skewed, but what I have seen is that, um, the, the use of THC can definitely increase aromatase expression. And that's the enzyme that converts testosterone into estradiol that's called aromatization. So it can increase aromatization, which will theoretically decrease testosterone and increase estrogen. And then another step further is that it has been shown to decrease gonadotropin releasing hormone. So that's the hormone that uh, parts of your brain kind of make to tell your pituitary to secrete luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone, which then tell your testes to create testosterone. So if we stop that first part of the the process downstream, we get less testosterone, we already have less testosterone. And some of that is turned more into estrogen than it otherwise would be. We have high levels of prolactin. So when it comes to if you're not enhanced on something like testosterone replacement therapy or exogenous steroids, and you're using marijuana, it's probably going to be pretty counterproductive to your goals based on that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And is, uh, does that work in conjunction with the increase in prolactin to decrease uh, your gonadotropin uh, output or your uh, GNRH or, you know, hormones like that? I've always, because I feel like those are kind of paradoxical or I'm sorry, work together. Yeah, I'm sure it's all kind of, I had thinking about the mechanism. I'm sure it's all slightly related, but I don't know all the mechanistic data on it. And then thing that's interesting that I've heard, um, both Dr. Huberman and then Dr. Gillette uh, on Huberman's podcast talk about, and I haven't looked into this research myself when I should, because I'm always a little baffled by it, is both of them have claimed that eating marijuana has less of an effect on prolactin or, you know, like consuming than smoking does. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me from a mechanistic standpoint, unless there's something with like the, something happens in the lung itself that starts that cascade. And I don't know, I'd have to look into it, but just that first, when I first hear that, I can't think of mechanistically how that makes any sense. But I mean, supposedly that's what they, they've said the research does say, I haven't checked that. And I wonder, and this is just kind of bro science, because I have seen stuff about that when you do die or, you know, ingest it or eat it, that it converts the THC into essentially a different metabolite uh, when you have to break it down that way. So Maybe that's kind of why whatever that metabolite, I forget what it is that it breaks down into, um, obviously doesn't cause the same increase in prolactin. Interesting. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I could see that being the case. Um, And then I think the last thing that nobody, like the weirdest thing that is, it's been so weird to me that everybody will know that smoking is bad. We just inherently know smoking is bad. But when it comes to smoking weed, and especially weed smokers are under this assumption that it's weed. It's not bad for you. And if you, it's so (laughs) crazy that to me, I'm like, have you seen the lining of your bong? Like, (laughs) I was just about to say, have you seen how nasty a pipe or a bong? Yeah. Look at your, your pipe. Like, you know, that smoke is leaving reservoir within the alveola of your lungs. And you know, it's causing issue. We know that smoke of anything. I had a, uh, an undergrad professor, he was a MD and PhD. He was like, smoking anything is bad. And I'm, I was like, yeah, that was like light bulb. I'm like, yeah, duh. Yeah. I mean, if there's like a nearby fire, we tell you the air is bad and not to, and try not to breathe it. Cause you're breathing in smoke and that's breathing in yeah. smoke of trees and things. So what makes you think that if you breathe in a forest fire, that's bad. But if you breathe in marijuana fire, then yeah, it's not bad. It's just, it's silly to me. So I would definitely say like smoking is terrible. We now know vaping is also terrible. Um, you know, they're definitely going to negatively impact the endothelial uh, function everywhere. That's, that's the whole vasculature of your body, including your brain. So it can definitely have detrimental effects on all of that. Um, last I looked, remember that there's not a, we don't have like clear data saying that it increases the risk of lung cancer. I think that's one of those things that to me, I'm like, it 
it just inherently would make sense that it does yeah. for the same reason that we know that, you know, like firefighters will have an increased risk and, yep. you know, they're not smoking tobacco, they're smoking houses, you know, essentially. So I do think that any smoke in the lungs will increase it. The hard part with a lot of marijuana research is one, the legality of it has limited the effect the, the, the ability to research. And then when it comes to like any drug like that, it's always hard to get passed by an IRB to ethically do it. So you can't, a lot of times it's going to be hard to make individuals high chronically for long periods of time. So we rely on retrospective studies or even prospective studies, those studies where you say, we're going to follow this group of people who we hope chronically consume marijuana, and then we'll study them. Uh, but it's not really controlled. We can't say that they smoked marijuana at this strain for this amount of time. You know, we, we don't know. So we rely a lot more on that on those kind of either epidemiological or prospective or retrospective studies. So we don't have clear data on all of it. And that's where a lot of the research is a little bit difficult too. But to your point, just anything in theory and how we, we know how, you know, chronic smoking is terrible for you. I feel like it's just probably best if you care about your health long-term that it's not something you chronically abuse, whether it's vaping, <laughs> smoking weed, obviously smoking cigarettes, um, and I'm sure there's just not the long-term data to know. And eventually we'll probably find out with it being legalized and obviously used much more, or, you know, much more in the public setting now. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's the thing I worry about with young kids, especially now with the vapes and things like that, that I'm like, I know it's a different form of smoking, but who knows like how that, you know, once it gets vaporized and you inhale it like that, what it's actually doing, could it somehow be worse than just regular smoking, you know, out of a bong or whatever it may be, who knows? So just a lot of what ifs there that, especially at a young age, you probably don't want to introduce. Um, and especially if you're somebody who's focused on your health and fitness, like me, that was kind of the point that it dawned on me. Like, Hey, I know that there's no way this is good for my health. Maybe it's not as bad as smoking a cigarette, but it's probably doing something to negatively affect my performance in some way. So why would it make sense for me to do this every day? It definitely goes against the lifestyle that I want to live and that I preach to others as well. For sure. So yeah, little takeaway there is I would say if you are going to utilize it from what the data currently say, I would say consume it probably. I mean, just mm -hmm. again, more just inherent knowledge, like try not to smoke things and including vaporize things into your lungs. And so if you can consume it, and I think nowadays, like I talked about with all the science and the strains and the, you know, you know the different percentages and things it would be a little different back in my day, sound like an old person, but when like, I used to hate homemade things. <laughs> yeah, man. I used to hate it because I would get so fucked up. Like you would. Yeah, I, sure. there, I remember two times in particular, one time, we were just skating and, and a buddy came by and he was like, he had some crumbs at the bag of a big ass Ziploc of like cookies that he made. And my friend and I, while we were skating, we, and we got high pretty frequently. So it's not like my tolerance was, you know, completely like super low or I would. So I like took a, a bit of crumbs, literally just like a handful of crumbs and ate some. And I was high for so long. I had to go home and like sit through a family dinner and I didn't plan on being high. I didn't want to be high. I just wanted to taste it. And I was high until the next day. And then the other time was uh, my best friend in school. I think I was dealing with girl problems. And my friend, like, I remember second period, he's like, I got you something. And I was like, what? And he was like, here, I know you, I know you're bummed out. And he passed me like a cookie or brownie or something. And I remember it hit me probably Good friend like at the time though. Yeah, he was great. He was, <laughs> that was my best buddy, Jai, back then. Um, he was, uh, we, what do we, I think it hit me like midway through third period, which is always weird too, because when you smoke, most guys are like, after you take that one hit, that really hurts and you're coughing after yeah. that, you're high. And when yeah. you eat it, you don't know. I remember I was sitting in, I think it was like, I was a junior and it was junior third period English I'm trying to remember her name. Oh, I forget. She added me on Facebook recently too. Damn. I feel bad. Anyways, I was sitting there and I remember just like, Ooh, like it hits you, you know, like all of a sudden I feel like my ears kind of change. I can like feel my like skin. Everything gets warm, right? Yeah. Yep. I can yep. like sound start sounding weirder. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I'm high. <laughs> and then I was like, okay. And I, I sat all through school the entire day like that. Like, shit, I'm so high. Super paranoid too. Like, fuck, they know I'm high. Like the, I would be looking at the teacher like, 
they definitely know I'm high or like, you know, people do and I'm acting funny. And I was one thing I was talking to like you and Victoria and Abby about is I just hate the way it makes me feel like that because I use it so infrequently. And now when I do, I'm like, it just messes me up. I'm like, shit. I'm like, I don't even know if like, if, am I saying my thoughts or was I just mm -hmm. thinking that did everyone hear mm -hmm. that is, are people looking at me? And I, I hate living life like that, but I was like that all day. And then I remember that same buddy called me after school and then we get on the phone and we're just sitting there. Like we didn't say anything. And I think we talked for over two hours when I looked at like the phone, we hung up, but he just sat there and we both sat there in silence on the phone. He was strumming his guitar, like an electric guitar, but not plugged in. And he was just like playing songs. And then eventually he was like, Hey, I'm going to go. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> I got freaked out. But I remember I was like, dude, I haven't heard anyone talk in a long ass time. Like that was just like so crazy. And I remember hanging up and it was like, I think it was like an hour and 50 minutes had gone by that we just sat in silence together. And so like, I think now you don't have to experience that when you take edibles, I think you take much people definitely. Yes. Yeah. And people definitely still do though. And that would be my word of caution that if you are someone who's never used it, if you're going to use a gummy of any type, like started a very low dose, I think for like most people, two and a half milligrams is what they like tell you to start around because uh, anything over that can be super strong. So yes, you certainly don't want to be in those situations because it happens now with it being legal where I think people that have never tried it, they're like, oh, eating it's better, you know, to them, rather, if they've never smoked anything, like I'm going to go eat it. And gummies and edibles can be very strong. So they'll yeah. have a pretty bad time. Or I we knew a couple who uh, went to Colorado and overdid it together and ended up like barricading themselves inside of their Airbnb, <laughs> because they got super paranoid and all in fun stories, you know, but still, obviously, you don't want that to be your experience if you're going to be using it. Exactly. Well, and, uh, we, uh, question, I'll go ahead. No, and yeah. my last question for you, just because I think it's, you know, good, obviously talking from personal experience and you're in Victoria's experience, what was kind of the thing that I guess um, allowed her to break free from that? Or was there anything in particular that kind of made her say like, all right, you know, I'm going to get a hold of this one day? I think it, I don't know, we'd probably been seeing each other for like a year at that point or so. And she knew that I disliked it. Like in the first few months, I didn't care. Like I said, mm -hmm. and I even like did it with her one time. And, but then, you know, I was in school and I was you know doing things and she, I was just like, I don't know. I, I was unhappy by it. And I would kind of let it be known without directly letting it be known. I would let it be known that I was like, oh, you have to get high again. You know, you drop a little, like, I'm sure Abby did the same to you. Like, oh yeah, we're going to watch a movie. You better go get high because you can't enjoy the movie without it, you know? And, uh, and I can hear you saying it just like that too. <laughs> yeah, you know, something like that, I'm sure is what I said. And maybe I did express it kind of blatantly to or to my my dislike in it after a while because I was like, wow, it's just kind of getting out of hand now. Yeah. Um, but she had a lot of, like we said, at that point, she had a lot of um, like self self-esteem issues. She really didn't think of herself as being anything special. Um, just like to put that into context, when I like first met her, she was afraid to go to Lululemon because she didn't feel like she was that kind of girl who would like look good in that or deserve to even be in a store like Lulu. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're, you're freaking hot. Like, of course you do. Why can't you? And so she just had such little self-esteem and she just saw herself as probably being like, I don't know, just a stoner and, and not really doing much with her life. And she, you know, and so when I kind of came on and I put a lot of work into showing her that how special she is and how capable she is of things, I think all around the same time, she was like, I'm going to stop getting like one day. I just remember getting a text from her. Like I'm done. I threw everything away. I'm not smoking anymore. I'm like signing up to go back to college. I want to be a dietitian. So it was a pretty like a big flip like what I did in a previous story when I told you about like what I switched she kind of did that too um I don't want to take all the credit for it but I hope that in ways I kind of helped her to see how special she was and how capable she was of things and then I think that it just didn't mesh with that you know she couldn't that was part of her old life that was holding her back and that was numbing her then and she knew that okay it's time for me to face my shit it's time for me to get uncomfortable and work through my demons and work through my issues and get uncomfortable, go to school. She was already working out. So she didn't need to do that, but there's work on things like that work on body image things that she had and all of that. So I think it was a mixture of just her own self-realization and wanting to do more for herself and better herself. And then hopefully me 
I'm hoping being a positive light in, uh, in her life. I don't want to take that credit though whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I think that hopefully that kind of answers the question. No, it does. And I'm asking because I, again, think that's probably very similar for what happened with me and Abby and what, you know, sparked it to change for me as well. Um, and I would say that you definitely were probably an influence on her because I know that my wife was for me in that sense that um, I'm sure to a lot of people I come across like super confident most of the time, but it definitely was something that I think the chronic use of it, like almost like debilitates that for you because you're constantly in this inner battle of like, why am I doing this? It's making you super anxious. You're just not feeling good about yourself. So it takes away um, a lot of that self-esteem that you may have or drive to go do certain things. Um, and she was kind of the one that leaned into me like, hey, I, I see all this good in you, just like you did with Victoria. And it was kind of what allowed me to realize like, oh, wait a second, not, you know, that not to inflate my head or anything like that, but just, hey, you're capable of doing more than this. Um, and I, once that catalyst, once the marijuana was removed, it was definitely a big like weight off my shoulders of realizing like, man, I probably have sold myself short on a lot of things and was walking around carrying my head down, not very confident, feeling very anxious in social settings. And that's, I had no reason ever to be that way other than it probably was, I was self-inducing it. So I'm sure you were a big impact on her as my wife was for me in that regard. That's cool. Well, we finally got a little look into uh, Perfect Wholesome Josh's insecurities <laughs> and, and uh, issues. So, Absolutely. yeah, I mean, I need to uh, go do a mass fitting with this bare ass face at the hospital. So if we have another, uh, I don't want to say the C word because we'll get demonetized or whatever. But uh, if we if we ever have another another issue i can go to the hospital with a stupid ass mask that's why i look like a dick with ears today oh, baby <laughs> face <laughs> but i uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode um like subscribe tell your friends all that good stuff let us know what else you want to hear and the uh next episodes and we will see you guys next time on the atlas hour